you remain standing for the reading of God's word as we honor our king? Our passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can find that in a Bible app or a Bible you brought. It's in the New Testament. This is a beginning of our series on the book of Hebrews, and I'll have a few comments on this. Uh, but just as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, hear the heart of the author speaking on behalf of God to a congregation, to a group of Christians he loves. Hear what is on his heart, given to him by the Spirit, to say to these people as he opens his letter to them. God's word to them. God's word to us this morning. Would God bless the reading of his word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said, we're beginning this new series, looking at the book of Hebrews. And before we begin unpacking this particular passage, I do just want to point out that Hebrews, unlike some of the other letters in the New Testament, really is, in many ways, a sermon. And as it is a sermon, it is full of imagery. It's full of things seeking to connect to those that would receive this letter. One thing about this uh, letter is it's full of Old Testament history and content. Some of it familiar, maybe some of it less familiar to you. And 
this explains in one reason why we'll spend time in Sunday school talking more about this to unpack some of that rich imagery and Old Testament background. Um, but also because in many ways, uh, as it's a sermon, it really wouldn't be good for me to just divide this up into really short chunks so that we could mine it for all of the theological uh, details. Because that would in many ways rob it of its sermonic force. Um, and so we're going to use this time to kind of participate with the author preaching encouragement to the congregation, uh, diving into more detail during Sunday school. And just one thing I want to remind you is that as we listen to this, we'll notice kind of a spiral effect. The author of Hebrews will bring something up. They'll circle back to it, move forward, circle back to it. And so there'll be an opportunity for us to really reflect on some of these themes and images in greater detail. But our point this morning is not to dissect a text, but to sit under God's word. As we've heard it read, let's now pray that God would give us greater understanding. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for this portion of your word, inspired by your spirit, what we call the letter to the Hebrews. Bless us as we seek to grow in understanding in trust, in obedience, would we be transformed by this time? Would I speak only that which is true and a blessing in the name of Jesus? Amen. For a while, when I was in high school and in college, there was a number of occasions that seemed to be on the increase that I was running into people that I thought were crazy out in public. All of these people just mumbling, talking to no one, just talking to themselves. This is when Bluetooth headphones began to become more apparent, and people began to walk around grocery stores and Walmart, etc., with these little ear pieces that you couldn't see, not talking to themselves, but talking to people hidden from sight. The thing is, talking to yourself is not actually a sign of mental instability. Most of us, if we're honest, do spend time talking to ourselves, even asking ourselves questions. What do we do when we do that? Why do we do that? Do we expect an answer? Do we expect to pull up from within ourselves some answer to those questions? Do we expect a voice from the heavens or someone in hiding to answer those questions? Have you ever asked someone or to no one in particular, maybe just in your head at night or out loud as you drove home from a difficult day, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing does anything I do matter? Why am I here? We often ask ourselves questions and talk to ourselves in more trying circumstances, in times of difficulty and doubt. When those circumstances that we are experiencing call into question the answers that we might have had to answer those circumstances, 
Or we ask those questions revealing the fact that we actually haven't ever had any answers to those questions. And the recipients of this letter, the group called the Hebrews, are experiencing difficulty and doubt. There's not a lot of specific references to what they're going through, but there's evidence that this is a second generation of Christians. It's not like the first group of believers right after Jesus and with Paul, but, but probably what we call a second generation. There's indication that they are going through persecution. This may even be the persecution in the 60s under the emperor Nero. And we know that some of the impact is that they are doubting. That the trials that they are going through, whether personal or as a group, are bringing things into question for them. They are wondering if following Jesus, if being a Christian, is worth it. It seems like they are tempted to go back to the Old Testament system of worship or maybe other options. They're asking... Where should we turn to for answers? Are there answers? Well, verse 1 and 2 tell us that there are answers. It tells us that someone is speaking long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken. God is speaking in the midst of our circumstances. God has spoken. Maybe the better question is, are we paying attention? You've probably had this experience. You've called someone or texted someone, and you're waiting for a response. No response is coming. You begin to get frustrated. You begin to even get angry. Maybe you're having this conversation in your head. Hey, this is important. Why aren't they getting back to me? I need to hear from them. What's going on? Only to pull out your phone to find out that you've had it on silent or that the battery has died, and to find that there are 15 texts or three emails waiting for you, that people were talking to you, you just weren't tuned in. Verse 1 and 2 tell us God has been talking. He has spoken through His Son, and in His Son He has spoken loudly and boldly. Hebrews is not a typical letter. There is no greeting. There is no, hey, how are you doing? This is what's going on with me. There is no, this is the reason that I'm writing to you, as is more typical with other letters. No, the author of this letter writes with inspired boldness, writing large the statement that God has spoken in definitive fashion through Jesus, his son, from the very beginning. This is what the first chapter of this letter wants us to get. It wants us to see who Jesus is, who is speaking to us. It wants us to pay attention, to understand, and get excited about the fact that God has spoken to us through His Son. It wants us to realize He is the one that we are to listen to. To listen to what He has spoken in His words and by His deeds. Especially when we are tempted to listen to our circumstances or to less important voices. So looking at Hebrews 1 this morning, we are going to answer the question, why should we listen to Jesus? We're going to look at 
Hebrews 1's description of Jesus in verses 1 through 4, and we're going to look at the comparison the author of Hebrews makes between Jesus and others in verses 5 through 14. And in better understanding who is talking to us, to pay better attention to the answers he gives us to those questions about what am I doing, why am I here, and does it matter? So who is talking? Let's not miss what Hebrews says, God is talking. It seems sometimes as if God is silent. But we have all of creation which points to his majesty, his order, his creative abilities. And yet even more personal, even more specific, God has been speaking throughout generations. In various times and in various ways, God has spoken specifically through prophets. But now, God has spoken definitively, cumulatively, in fulfillment. In the old ways, it was occasional. As there were certain needs, God would raise up certain prophets. They would speak about laws and ways of doing things. They would warn God's people if they were in specific danger. They would instruct them, and at times, he would show his power, even through these prophets. But, in these last days, it says, he has spoken to us by his Son. And we shouldn't miss those words in these last days because those prophets of old, the old ones that God spoke to, they spent a lot of time talking about the latter days. Prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Amos and Daniel were looking for the last days, the later days, when God would do something amazing, when God would send an anointed one, a savior, when God would restore his people, when he would bring peace and prosperity. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, those things that they were talking about on occasion, now in these last days, now in this important moment, God has spoken through his son. Who is his son? Who is Jesus? There's kind of seven things that we can see in the passage describing who Jesus is to help us better understand why we should be listening to him. First of all, it says he is the one, in verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things. That is, Jesus is the one that has a right to everything. All of creation, all of the people, all of the art, all of the beauty, all of the science, all of the study, belongs to him. Next it says, by, through him also God created the world. His son is the instrument of creation. All things belong to him because he made all things. He goes on to say, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. That is, he demonstrates to us the beauty and wonder of God, his power, his might. One author puts it this way, just as the radiance of the sun reaches this earth, so in Christ, the glorious light of God shines into the hearts of men and women. As the light comes from the sun to warm the earth, so Jesus comes from the side of the Father to show us the Father. So all things belong to him. He made all things. He shows us God's glory. 
then goes on to say he is the exact imprint of his nature. That is, he bears the stamp of who God is, and this language is kind of derived from the imprint of a coin. You have the picture of the emperor in those days or the other figure, and what do you do? You stamp it exactly on the coin. It's not an artist's rendition where they say, okay, you know, I'm trying to reproduce it. No, it is the stamp is the thing which creates the imprint on the coin. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. John 14, 7, Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him, because they have known Jesus and seen him. He goes on to say he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus isn't just the one that instigates creation. He's not just a watchmaker that turns it up and lets it loose. No, he is intimately, ongoingly, nurturingly involved in our world. He cares for it and upholds it. He preserves it against the forces of chaos and destruction, the degrading work of sin. As Colossians 1 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So on one hand, so far we have this proclamation that God has been speaking, and God has spoken now in a definitive way through his son and we have these high and lofty descriptions he's creator all things belong to him as the heir he upholds the world by his power he shows us the character and glory of god but then at the end of verse three it says this after after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on These images of rule, these images of power, these images of being a king are accompanied with this image of a priest, one who offers a sacrifice to cleanse us from our sins. The almighty, all-powerful Son of God comes to purify us from our sins. And then he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as his name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. When Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection, as he sits at the right hand of God, he is affirmed in who he is and what that means. Those seven attributes of Jesus we just probably spent only two minutes on. Each one of them bears deeper analysis and understanding who Jesus is in theological terms, we call this Christology, the study of Christ. And it's fruitful to study and reflect on each of these individual aspects and each of the statements in greater detail. And we'll hopefully have some time to do that in our adult ed time. But let's not miss what the author is trying to do. He's not inviting us to investigate the individual petals of the flower, but to behold the beauty of the bloom. He is saying the one who has spoken to you is the greatest. He is the prophet who speaks authoritatively. He is the king who rules. He is the priest that makes sacrifice. In fact, he is God himself. Come in the flesh to show us himself so that we might know the one who speaks to us. The supremacy, the wonder, the good news that God speaks to us through his son is amazing. 
It's what the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Lord, wants the people reading his letter to understand from the very get-go. That Jesus speaks as God, for God, and speaks to us. But sometimes, for all of the beauty of that, that can seem pretty distant and abstract. In fact, this group of Christians who received this letter already knew much of this. But it's not their old Jewish standby. They're tempted to return to some form of Judaism, some form of the Old Testament sacrificial system as we read in this letter. And perhaps it is because in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of doubt, they want to return to something familiar. Jesus might be great, but he's not my old blankie. Sometimes we prioritize the familiar over the better. And the author of Hebrews understands this. And so beyond just painting the beauty and power and majesty of who Jesus is that's speaking to them, of who Jesus is that continues to speak to us today... He brings it closer to home to illustrate the reason that the recipients should be encouraged to trust in what Jesus said. To do so, he draws a comparison to something familiar to them, something important to them, angels. Now, why would that matter to them? And we can talk a little bit more about angels in the coming weeks. But the Jewish tradition was that when Moses went to the top of the mountain to receive the covenant and God's laws, that they were mediated to him, given to him from God through angelic messengers. These angels helped set up God's covenant with his people, and with that the laws, and with that the Old Testament sacrificial system. So all that they are tempted to look back to in some way hinges on this angelic mediation. And even apart from that tradition for them, we of course have angels showing up to deliver God's people, showing up as agents of God's discipline on evildoers. We see angels accompanying God's presence in the throne room, worshiping the Lord in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6. So angels matter. And so the author of Hebrews pastorally says, these are voices that you would listen to. These are people or beings that would matter to you. Let's see. Let's hold Jesus up against these angels and see how they compare. And so he then begins to quote a number of passages from the Old Testament. We have quotes from Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7 and Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 45 and Psalm 102 and Psalm 110. And if you have a Bible, a reference Bible, those passages will be listed for you. But even in choosing these passages that talk about Jesus, in comparison to the angels, he's continuing to say more about who Jesus is. When In verse 5, when he quotes Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7, he is saying, Jesus is the Davidic king who you've been waiting for. In verse 6, he quotes Deuteronomy 32, worship of God from the lips of Moses. The author is saying, is rightly directed towards Jesus. In Psalm 45, it talks about how God rules 
through the Davidic king. He is saying this is the king through whom God's rule is truly known. Psalm 102 in verse 110 is about the worship of God. And verse, one, uh, verse 13, which quotes Psalm 110, shows again that Jesus is the ruler in the line of David that was promised. He keeps telling us more about who Jesus is, but the reason he's doing so is to hold him up, him up into comparison to the angels. And so there's kind of a fourfold comparison here, because I know that this, is, this language and this talking about angels in our modern day and age, when we talk less about angels and we focus more on Jesus, maybe it's just a little bit complicated or unfamiliar to us. So here are the points of comparison. First, in verse 5, he compares their name. Jesus has the name that is superior to theirs, for of which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The son isn't just a relational name, it's a title. Kings were called sons of God because they had the special privilege of ruling God's people under God. He has the greater name, one of authority and rule. Second, he has greater status. We see this in verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Who worships whom? The lesser is to worship the greater. If Jesus is supposed to receive the worship of angels, and notice, we see this, don't we? The angels come to proclaim the good news, worshiping God that Christ has been born and the story of his birth. And we have angels who come and attend to Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. The lesser worships the greater. Then we have a, a longer comparison in verses 7 through 12 about their substance. Notice what he says about angels. He makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. When we think about flames of fire, what do we think about them? The ways that they flicker, the ways that they move, about the wind that passes by for a moment. So it, there is this sense into which they are changing. Whereas we read that Jesus' kingdom is forever that he has laid the foundations of the earth, and even though the earth will perish, that he will remain, for you are the same, and your years will have no end. They may be fire, they may be wind, but he is the unchanging foundation of all things. And lastly, the glory. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Who gets to stand and who gets to sit in the presence of royalty? Only the royals get to sit in the presence of royalty. Everyone else stands to show honor. Jesus is given the place of honor and glory at the right hand of God the Father. While the angels, they're ministers, they're servants. And in verse 14, it sums it all up, and it kicks it off and tops it off saying this, the angels who are meant to serve the Lord are also meant to serve God in serving us, those who inherit salvation. If the Old Testament covenant is favored, 
and God's relation to us and value because of angels, how much more so should the declarations of the new covenant, forgiveness in the blood of Jesus, matter because of his superiority to angels? And I hope I haven't lost you. Because I know that you might be saying, so what? That's good information. Jesus is greater than angels. Okay, I I believe that. Angelic authority and glory may not be your go-to, but let me ask, what is? If angelic authority and substance and glory doesn't matter to you as a source of authority, as a source of revelation, as a source of what is important, then what is? What voices do matter to you? When you ask those questions about purpose, about meaning, about what's right, whose answers are you listening to? And how do those voices compare to Jesus' voice? How do celebrity endorsers of every product from cars to insurance to soda who tell you your value is in the products you buy, how much you buy, and how much money you have to buy those products, how do those celebrity endorsers compare to the Son of God? the most well-known person in all of history? How do political figures who tell you your value is in promoting their policies compare to the king of kings who rules over all things? How does that shape our reception of their message that the world's ills can be fixed with voting for the right candidate with the right policies? Or social media whose message is that your value is how many people like you or follow you. That your purpose is so that other people think you're funny or you're you're beautiful or that you're worth listening to. Should these voices be the voices we listen to? Should your boss, should your parents Should even me as a pastor, should our opinion of you and what we say about you be that which defines your answers to these questions of purpose and meaning and value? Or should it be the voice of God spoken through his son who left heaven, came into this world, lived and died and rose again from the dead for you? This matters not only because of the identity of the one who speaks, but the nature of what he is speaking. If you will not trust in Jesus and who he is, then you will not listen to what he says. He speaks as the creator of the universe, whose power was demonstrated over storms and illness and death. If we will see that, then we will listen when he tells us that we are made in the image of God and that every life has value. He tells us that God has a standard, and he teaches with authority that even the teachers of the law had to recognize. And when he taught, he told us that what is right and what is good is to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And because we fail to live up to that standard, he says his body and his blood is for us saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the remission of sins. He is the great priest making sacrifice. The author of Hebrews billboards the supremacy of Christ. 
He paints in large, unmistakable letters his power, his glory, his authority, his status, so that in realizing who he is, we will listen to what he says. We will listen when he graciously warns, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that we will hear his call as the good shepherd who knows and cares for his sheep. So that we will hear his offer of rest for everyone who is weary and heavy laden. And remembering who he is, we will know that we can trust in him even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of doubt when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can trust the words of Jesus because of who he is. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Let's listen to what he has to say. Would you join me in prayer? God, we hear many voices. The things that we tell ourselves, the things that the radio and TV says, the things that we read in books, and some of those things are good and true and helpful, but Lord, would we not shut out your voice? Speaking in your word, as Jesus shows us who you are, so that we can know you, that we can be saved, that we can live for you. Help us listen to you, Jesus. In the name of the one whose name is above every other name.